In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. King David's exuberant procession to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem takes a tragic turn when a well-intentioned man touches the sacred Ark. Well, filled with fear, David hesitates, but then witnesses the blessings that follow the presence of the Ark in a house. So, renewed with reverence, David resumes the journey emphasizing the delicate balance between celebration and reverence. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, June 20th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is made possible in part by a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, LHF translates, publishes, and distributes Lutheran books and materials that are Bible-based and Christ-centered and Reformation-driven. So whether it's a catechism, a hymnal, a Bible storybook, or a devotional, LHF provides these resources free of charge to pastors, missionaries, and lay people who need them. To learn more about LHF and how you can partner with them in this vital mission work, visit their website at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Well, please join me this morning in welcoming my guest to help us divide and discern 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's the Reverend Jem Gabriel, pastor of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Norwalk, Connecticut. Good morning, Pastor Gabriel, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Boo. What a joy to be back in uh, your program and to discuss uh, the Lord's Holy Word. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm happy to have you. Plus, of course, we know each other from back in the day, so it's always great to hear your voice and hear how things are going. Um, how is the Lord using you and the saints there at St. Peter uh, this Pentecost season? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's been quite a journey post-pandemic. So, you know, I just recently took a call to St. Peter Lutheran Church in Actually, It's been like three months since I... <laughs> you know, started shepherding this congregation. And, uh, yeah, it's been great so far. And, uh, you know, the new, uh, you know, avenues the Lord's uh, kept ready for us, uh, you know, to work as a team. And uh, we are all upbeat about this, you know, excited. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad that uh, you have taken that call, and uh, I'm sure that the saints there are uh, blessed by God to have you as their shepherd. I tell you what, before we begin our time together looking into Second Samuel chapter 6, would you start us off with prayer, please? Sure. Almighty God, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, a Father who is perfect in every way, Lord, uh, we thank you for who you are and uh, what you've done. By sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, uh, in flesh and blood, and Lord, uh, through his vicarious atoning, substitutionary death on the cross, Lord, all our sins are forgiven and we are justified, Lord, through faith in your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for that wonderful gift. And we rebel and we thank you. And Lord, even as we read and study the Holy Scriptures through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to us, strengthen and nourish your faith so that we will shine the light of the gospel in this broken, sinful world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brother. Well, as we get into chapter 6, it's worth talking a little bit about where we've come from 
David has just defeated the Philistines again, uh, just as uh, God had commanded him. And so the Philistines were not completely eradicated, but they were virtually wiped out. And so now it's time to bring the Ark of God back to Jerusalem because it's been somewhere else. Um, is there anything else that you want the people to know before we dig into our text for today? Uh, well, you know, it, it's it's like the context is now that Saul's, you know, out of the picture, and David became king over both Israel and Judah. So David literally took the, took Jerusalem from the Jebusites, literally by force, and made it his capital. And the long story short, this is again uh, the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to David. And... Uh, and especially to the descendants of Abraham. And God is establishing things one step at a time. And uh, what I say is, you know, God's timing is perfect. And uh, and how David is very mindful of having the presence of the Lord, you know, Yahweh, you know, in the midst. And uh, nothing else is of importance to him than that. So... David is certainly a good example for us in that, um, absolutely. Well, I'm just going to read the first just four verses. Let's just get, uh, get into the text a little bit. So David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of Yahweh of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio uh, went before the ark. So, so we have uh, Bala Judah, um, or it's, it's also known as Kiriath-Jerim, if you were listening when we were in 1 Samuel 7, um, but... Tell us a little bit, and I think most people in this audience probably know, but what is the significance of the Ark, right? I mean, it says that Yahweh of hosts is sit enthroned on the cherubim. Um, for those who may just have forgotten or don't quite know, what does that mean? Uh, it's, again, the abiding presence of Yahweh, you know, when God brought them you know, out of, you know, the land of slavery, you know, God promised to be with them, and uh, God has been very faithful to ancient Israel. And again, as we know, sometimes, you know, you know, people get very familiar with God and the things of God, and ancient Israel, you know, with no difference. So they just, you know, did their own thing, you know. They just wanted to play by their own rules, and not, you know, according to Yahweh's clear instructions and commandments. So, again, you know, it is a big deal, you know, for the Israelites, you know, God with them, God protecting them, covering them, providing for them, uh, you know, and uh, losing that privilege, that blessing, uh, you know, it's it's not a light thing. So David, having known this, uh, you know, he, he just wants to get that all situated. You know, so, and that is why we see this, you know, like it's 30,000 is a large number. 
you know, not just like five or ten, you know. Um, it's it's thirty thousand. So I, that always he amazes me the magnitude. Yes. Yeah, I mean thirty thousand. You're right, thirty thousand people to escort the ark, and and there might be some good reasons for that. I mean, on the one hand, you know, while they have been victorious over their enemy, the Philistines, there still are enemies out there, and as you've alluded to, the ark is incredibly important. It it is the it denotes the presence of God amongst His people. It's it's essentially the throne, uh, and of course, the the word ark. For folks, it just means box, right? It just when we think of the uh, Noah's Ark, it's the same word. It just means a big box that is going to contain things, and and the Ark, of course, mm-hmm. uh, contains some things. It contains the Ten Commandments, some of the manna. It contains Aaron's staff, and but more important than all of those witnesses to God's work among them, it, it itself is to be completely uh, holy, set apart, revered. It is holy space. And it's interesting you brought up that they've just kind of become used to the things of God. Um, and and we, we, we're going to see that evidenced here in just a minute, but isn't that exactly one of the problems that we face today is there really is no sacred space anymore. We've just become so used to and, and made made common and vulgar the things of God, which I think this, this, this particular passage is very much a, uh, a warning against. Uh, it's kind of scary, even, you know, as you just spoke those words, uh, you know, it gives me goosebumps, you know. You know, how, you know, we as as a community of, you know, Christ followers in this 21st century, how we have become so much uh, go-along-to-get-along kind of people, you know, instead of being set apart. And, uh, you know, the actual word is, uh, peculiar people, you know, we don't want to be those peculiar ones anymore. Uh, so that's that's something that we really need to uh, think through and then, you know, get a grip on. Definitely, yes. Amen, brother. So, so he he they put it on this new cart, um, and I guess they they must have thought that they were doing something good by putting it on a new cart. Um, you know, we see back in First Samuel, they did they did the same thing. They prepared a new cart. They had two milk cows in which there had never come a yoke. Uh, they yoked the cows to the carts, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's when they placed the ark on it and were, were moving it across the land there. And here they've gotten a brand new cart. But even in doing this, even with these, I, I'm going to argue, I guess, to put the best construction on it with good intentions. Okay, we're going to put it on a brand new cart because it's so holy. They're actually breaking God's law, though, right? Because he didn't tell them to carry it around in a cart. He told them to carry it with the poles. They're they're violating God's statutes already. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah, 100% right. You know, the Ark of God is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it's again, going back to, you know, the physical details of it is itself is very elaborate. Uh, it, it, like you said, it, it was a box made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold. And uh, I think, if my memory serves right, I think I think it's 2.5 cubits, you know, by 1.5 cubits by 1.5 cubits. And uh, the Ten Commandments was there, and uh, Aaron's rod, and you know, and uh, what else? Manna was there. 
And uh, the presence of God, above all, you know, all this, uh, you know, details, it is the presence of God that, that really made uh, the box, the Ark of God, special. And like you mentioned, the Torah very clearly prescribes that the Ark uh, is to have four rings of gold mounted, two on each side of the Ark. And again, you mentioned that correctly, and it has, uh, it has to be carried by people, you know, with poles, you know, and uh, these people pr- probably learned it from uh, their enemies because um, the Philistines didn't know any better, you know, and what, what worked for them worked against, you know, the covenant people. You see the danger there. Right. But and I, I but I, you you absolutely you bring up a very good point. They're probably imitating others with the using the cart and stuff. I, to me, it also stands out though that if I try to give them a break and say, well, they were trying to do something nice by making it a new cart, then it also goes to show you that even if you have the best intentions, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. It's gonna honor God in this way. But if it's not, if you're trying to honor God in a way that He's not prescribed. Well, then that's certainly not going to be good for you, just as it wasn't good for uh, Uzzah. Let's, let's hear what happens next by starting with verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before Yahweh with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark of God and took hold of it, because the oxen stumbled. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Now David was angry because Yahweh had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of Yahweh that day, and he said, How can the ark of Yahweh come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of Yahweh into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of Yahweh remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. But Yahweh blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. All right, let's pause right there at the end of verse 11. So we talked about these 30,000 people, brother, and but it wasn't just a marching force protecting the enemies, man. They're celebrating, right? This is a this is a big big parade, songs and lyres and harps and tambourines. It is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, they were literally whooping it up, you know, big time because it calls for that kind of celebration uh because that is the important blessing for ancient Israel. Because with Lord, you know, being on their side, uh, you know, there is n- no sign of defeat. There is no sign of, uh, you know, any kind of oppression, you know, of any sort. You know, many times we miss that, you know. Uh, we always think that, you know, whatever, you know, the Word of God, you know, promises, you know, it, it's, it, it's good, but it's not all that great, you know. So we, we, we tend to believe the word we tend to believe god's promises but but there is you know an element of okay you know it's not quite there yet you know it it needs some support from you know our human faculty my our human wisdom uh does it make sense to you 
I get what you're saying, you know, like like God's word isn't strong enough to accomplish what he said it would. So we need to help it along, right? We need we need to uh use our own common reason and sense and our own innovations and add to what God has given us. But that's not true. God's word is powerful in and of itself. And and we see that here too, right? Because Uzzah probably once again had I would say pure intentions. Right? The ark is about to fall. He doesn't want the ark to fall, but he violates the law. The ark was to be carried on poles, which they weren't, and it was to never be touched. And the penalty for touching it was death, and God is just. So the mistake, the error that uh, that Uzzah made was basically thinking that somehow if the ark of the the covenant, the lid, were to fall onto the ground, that the mud would somehow make it unholy. but he was the unholy one, not the mud. The mud was being mud, right? The mud was doing what mud was designed to do. Man was designed to obey God. He was the one that was unholy. That's perfect. I'm just like, you know, like letting my, you know, like my thoughts go a little further, uh, putting myself in Uzzah's place. You know, what would have been my, you know, immediate response if I had been in his shoes? And probably I would ask the same question to you. You know, was that more of a, you know, like a physical reflex that was at work? Or was it an expression of his heart, you know, to steady the ark? What do you think? Well, I think if I was in his place, I'd be dead, just like Uzzah. <laughs> because I think it's a natural reaction if you value something and it's about to fall in the mud that you want to stop it. And I think it's also pretty normal, unfortunately, for people to forget the word of the Lord. But um, whether I would have been dead or not, the fact is Uzziah is. And um, if I if I've been in his place, I would have deserved it. And, and, and Uzzah, Uzzah deserved it. But David doesn't think so. He's upset. But he's not really just upset about Uzzah dying. He's upset because now he's kind of afraid of this thing. He's like, what if I do something wrong? But it's not as though— the, it's not as though the Lord hasn't given us his instructions. It's not like, you know, we have to secretly figure out what God likes and what doesn't like, and, you know, and we'll learn from those of us who don't drop dead. But, you know, the Lord gives us his law to follow. So I don't know. What do you think? Where would you be if you were in the if you were in Uzzah's position? I think you're, per, you know, 100 percent right, you know, in what you just now said, because, you know, the problem was not, you know, with that trying to like steady the ark that was probably impulsive. It's like, you know, you, you and me as pastors, when we, you know, do the, you know, the sacrament of the altar, for some reason, you know, your object gets caught, you know, and the uh, chalice is about to fall. What would you do? You won't let that just fall and spill over. You know, you try to steady it or keep it. So, but the problem was just a step before that, you know, the way they forgot the commandments of Yahweh, uh, how to transport the ark, how to deal with the ark, how to, you know, have reverence for the presence of Yahweh. You know, that's what they missed big time. Uh, sometimes all the noise around, you know, makes us lose that focus. 30,000, you know, men cheering and, you know, rebelling and, you know, whooping it up. Come on, you know, there's a lot of distraction going on there. And even in our, you know, in our ministry, in our churches, you know, there, there could be a lot of distractions from keeping the main thing, the main thing. And I think 
David's fear is kind of uh, legitimate, and also it, it, it's a necessary fear. Because, again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Probably David, in spite of all his years and years of experience as a warrior, as a leader of Israel, he is still not wise as he should have been at that point. Now that he's learning something new that he has he never knew before. I definitely think that his fear is reasonable in the sense that, you know, if if I'm not following the way God wants or I've forgotten the way that God wants to be treated or wants his holy things to be treated, then it'd be better off if I just didn't have it. Uh, but that's what's sort of, I guess, comical about the whole situation is because you have this this huge parade. Everybody's rejoicing. As you said, it's easy to get distracted and caught up in the moment and just join in with the revelry. Uh, but you cannot, even in those moments, forget the word of the Lord. And so David says, you know, listen, I'm not taking the ark into Jerusalem now because, you know, if this guy who was trying to be good uh, dies by the hand of Yahweh because he mishandles it, then maybe it's super dangerous. So he takes it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and it stays there for three months. And what does it say? It, Obed wasn't dropping dead you know his family wasn't coming down with plagues it says Yahweh blessed Obed Edom and all of his household so why I guess David has to ask himself is this guy who's from Gath that Obed Edom was probably a Philistine from Gath who'd come back with uh, David and so um, how is this guy being blessed by the presence of God's ark and and my people not being blessed and of course, the the answer is that uh, um, he didn't disobey the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you just follow the instructions, then you're in no trouble. But when you break it, you know, then you are in big trouble, even to the point of losing your own life. And Uzzah was just an example, you know, for everyone to see. And that probably, like, literally. Scared David and all the other people. I don't know if that was even David's, uh, you know, sole decision, you know, singular decision, or somebody like even suggested that the Bible doesn't say. But eventually, like you said, you know, the ark was temporarily kept in Obed Edom's house, and uh, he didn't drop dead, but instead, you know, it was totally the opposite. You know, the Lord, Yahweh, started blessing his household for everyone to see. Right. Yeah, he brings it into his household. We can actually finish up the text there, starting with verse 12. And it was told King David, Yahweh has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the of Yahweh had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before Yahweh with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Yahweh with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So it said earlier, right? So David says, how is this ark going to come to me? And it says David was not willing to take the ark of Yahweh into the city of David, right? So out of fear. 
But then when it blesses Obed-Edom, he's like, okay, go get it, right? Go pick up the ark. I'm, I'm ready for it now. But, but we notice something different, right? He now is obeying the Lord. It says in verse 13, and when those who bore the ark of Yahweh had gone six steps. So, so he's, they're bearing it up on the poles as instructed. They're, they're doing the Lord's work. And I don't know about you, brother, but it kind of reminds me that when we see justice meted out, when the law is convicting, it reminds us that God is just and we are to follow his will and, and his ways and to do things according to the way he's prescribed for us to do them. Yeah, you're right. And I think uh, our challenge is more to do with consistency, you know, like how consistently we, you know, like walk according to the precepts of the Lord, you know, the ways of the Lord. Uh, David was not you know, an out-and-out, you know, bad fellow, you know, bad man at all. But this instant, you know, he just got distracted and he just went with the way of the Philistines in like transporting the ark and Uzzah dies and then he's afraid and now he sees Obadiah being blessed. Now he says, okay, now I know how this works. Okay, you know, I, I just got to just tie up all these loose ends. You know, I have failed. It's again, it's an act of repentance. You know, doing it right is again, uh, it's also another expression of you really say, Lord, okay, I'm just going to give up my evil ways my own, you know, like ideas, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to do it your way, your way. I mean, your, your true repentance, you know, literally means to turn and go the other way. And then that's, that's exactly what he does. We don't, we don't see him, you know, doing anything other than saying, okay, now we're going to take it. We're going to do it right. But it is kind of interesting because it says that they're the ones who are bearing it up. So now they're doing it as the Lord prescribed. But then it says he he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. That was after they took six steps. Um, so mm. they that is this something that's uh, continuously going on? Or are they do? I mean, is this something that's normal according to the way? I, I don't remember this elsewhere. It seems like this is him uh, lamenting, trying to sacrifice for his penitence. Yeah, I think I think the distance, you know, that they needed to travel was approximately nine miles. And uh, I think six paces probably would be equal to 15 feet distance. And imagine, you know, if we do the math, it's, it's pretty much almost 3,000 times they sacrificed within that nine miles. Wow, that's... That's a large-scale sacrifice, you know, yeah. to to make up for all that, you know, they've done wrong and, uh, you know, went against Yahweh's clear instructions. Sometimes, you know, the consequences of that is kind of, is vast. Yeah, we see yeah. this large-scale sacrifice again when David's son, King Solomon, is bringing the ark out of the city of David uh, in First Kings 8. And it says they mm -hmm. sacrificed so many sheep and oxen that it could not be counted or numbered. So I think we see here an appeal to Yahweh for his blessings. You know, it's been a while since Yahweh has, uh, at least recorded anyway, has exercised judgment for the Israelites. So we see him here reminding them that he is God and they are not, and that his will must be followed 
lest there be consequences. Folks, we're going to think about that, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Gabriel and I will keep on going through 2 Samuel chapter 6. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Jim Gabriel, pastor of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Norwalk, Connecticut. You can always catch Thy Strong Word on the radio in St. Louis on AM850, but if that signal doesn't quite reach you, you can listen to the program on your favorite podcasting platform or download the KFUO radio mobile app available on iOS and Android. You can also listen live or on demand at kfuo.org. And if you want to share your thoughts or your questions or comments, I'm happy to hear from you. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook so that we can stay in touch. Well, Pastor Gabriel, before the break, we were just seeing how now they've learned their lesson. They are uh, uh, heeding the warning of Uzzah's death. They are now taking the Ark of the Covenant according to the way that God had uh, designed and as he had commanded. They're carrying it on the poles. It's still very joyous and joyful. Um, you know, it, just reading the text one more time, and it was told King David that Yahweh had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the Ark of God. So David went and he brought up the Ark of the God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, with rejoicing. And when those who bore, they're doing it right now, the Ark of Yahweh had gone six steps. He sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. Now, 14 is in focus now, and David danced before Yahweh with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod so that David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of Yahweh with shouting and with the shout of the horn. Um, it's an interesting passage. Everyone's really excited. Clearly, David is too. Um, but it's uh, it's kind of interesting here. David is wearing a linen ephod. Uh, yes, he's the king, but typically uh, linen, linen ephods were typically only worn by priests. David's of the tribe of Judah, not of Levi. Um, so why is he placing himself in this priestly role do you think why is he why is he doing this on this ceremonial occasion yes uh, that, that's intriguing because uh, that's very clearly you know a, a priest job and uh, 
just, you know, the verses prior to this also says that, you know, David was sacrificing. So he was presiding over sacrifices. So he assumes a priestly role by making the sacrifice. And then he'll build an altar to the Lord and offer burnt offerings, you know, in the, in the threshing floor of the Jebusite. So, again, I think it's, it's, it's another, you know, like a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, David, a priest forever, you know, um, made David a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And uh, following him, even Solomon will make sacrifices. Uh, so, again, you know, the Lord is setting up, you know, David. And again, you know, you know, it, it's very, you know, typical of pointing to Christ who would come in the lineage of David who will ultimately make that ultimate sacrifice. Uh, so it's, it's all a precursor to that. Uh, that's how I see this whole thing, you know, David, you know, doing what he did. I'd suspect you're right. I mean, obviously when it says that David is making these sacrifices, he's, he's instructing the priests to do it. He wouldn't be doing, uh, you know, duties that were reserved only for Levitical priests, neither would Solomon. But ultimately, though, they would be the ones ordering them. Um, and you, I think you hit it, right? Because he's conquered Jerusalem, and so he's assuming all these titles and offices that were held by previous kings, including that um, order of Melchizedek, right? The king of uh, Salem, Jerusalem, right? The ancient mm-hmm. king. And so he's a priest of God Most High, and so David is a priest in his, I guess, royal way, uh, which points forward to that king of king and priest of priest, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, so he's wearing this linen ephod, though, but he's dancing around, and um, not everybody's super happy with that, <laughs> with the way he's, he's, he's acting. Um, well, let's look. Let's look. As we read on. Uh, I guess his wife takes a little offense. Let's, let's hear what she has to say. Starting with verse 16. As the ark of Yahweh came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before Yahweh, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of Yahweh and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before Yahweh. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed, each to his house. Now let's pause there before we get into the next verse and hear what uh, Michael, his wife, daughter of Saul, has to say, um, David is really making this just an um, amazing celebration, and as the king, he has the ability to essentially feed everybody, and so everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's partying. Uh, what a joyous occasion. Why do you think that Michael is so upset? Uh, obviously, you know, back in the day, even even today, you know, we don't see millionaires, you know, in a hurry or rushing. You know, they have a, a, a certain, you know, gait. You know, the way they walk, it's like easy paced and they would never seem to be, you know, running, you know, in the street for any reason. They have people to run for them. So David being the king, you know, everybody is at his disposal. And for David to even lose himself, 
and then wear this uh, linen, you know, liturgical garment and dance with the so-called commoners, within quotes, was some sort of, you know, a dignity issue with Michael, probably. Hey, we are up here in society, and now you are, why are you just going and, you know, hanging out with these people? You know, it's kind of a, you know, looking down on people. Of course, she failed to recognize that, you know, every, you know, Israelite is Yahweh's price possession. You know, there's no, you know, like a clear distinction between David, the king, or the the royal family, and a, a, a citizen, you know, of Israel. You know, everybody was treated equally by Yahweh and blessed equally by Yahweh. And they all shared this inheritance promise because they're all true seeds of Abraham. Uh, so Michael's distinction probably because of, you know, the, oh, we stay at the palace and these people are living wherever. So, and that's not a, you know, a proper distinction. You know, even in our churches, you know, we cannot have that distinction. You know, God expects, accepts everybody, loves everybody equally, treats everybody equal, and, uh, you know, he blesses everyone, you know, without uh, any kind of, you know, like, up or down, you know, kind of uh, measure. So, that's my two cents. Sure, yeah, right. But could there also be, and I, I don't disagree at all, but could there also be something, she never really was committed to the religious life, but at the same time, could she be embarrassed by his manner of worship? I mean, it's interesting that this is all brought up in this context of the Uzzah not obeying the manner in which God wanted the ark to be treated. And so he dies because he didn't heed the word of God, which said it should be carried on poles and he shouldn't touch it. Uh, and they put it on a cart and he touches it. So he gets he gets punished. David, it turns the whole place into a – and the whole – what was normally a celebration, a big parade, it turns it all into mourning because someone has died and now the king was afraid. The king has taken the ark and hidden it in a in somebody's house. Um, and so it was really a, a depressing time for months and months before David finds out that things are going well for the guy who has it and he gets it. And so now he's dancing again, right? You don't want to mourn for some guy for more than three months. And so he's dancing again. Do you think she looks at that and she just thinks, you know, this is embarrassing. You know, she's chagrined by his his celebrating the fact that, you know, he's 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 hooping and hollering around. Not only is he king, but also it's before in the presence of of the most holy object that God has given his people to represent his presence. Um, right or wrong. OK, whether she, whether you agree with her or not, it seems like, um, yes, what you say is true. She doesn't like the fact that kings probably hanging out with the commoners, but also that he's just making a fool of himself, it seems, in her eyes. Yes, you're right. And uh, and also, we also see, you know, you know, Michael's, you know, family, you know, tree, you know, family line. You know, she is the daughter of who? Saul, the disobedient king, you know, the rejected king, the first king of Israel. So, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, how Saul's name is also mentioned. And Saul and all his sons were dead by the time 
And now, you know, there, it, it, you know, of course, I will save that for the latter part of the study, you know. But, you know, it, we see a pattern here, you know. Uh, it's waning, you know, Saul's, uh, you know, uh, reign and Saul's family. It's just like it's slowly moving out of the picture, fading away. And, you know, David's like establishing himself. Uh, all in preparation to to the the messianic fulfillment, you know, in in the New Testament. Uh, so it's beautiful, you know, how how this, you know, how we, you know, mixing, you know, fade in and fade out, you know, this radio show, you know, with music and the talk, you know, it's something like that. Um, so I think Michael, you know, is is kind of uh, giving us glimpses of that, you know. Okay, this I'm done with Saul. I'm done with soft people because there is no place for disobedience to Yahweh and God's ways, uh, no matter to what little degree. Uh, so God is very, very clear, you know, about, uh, you know, those uh, uh, rubrics. Well, it's interesting. Let's hear from uh, Michael herself uh, in the next verse. I'm just going to read one more verse, verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David, and she said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as well as one of the vulgar fellows who shamelessly uncovers himself. So she basically says, sarcastically, Oh, look how you honored yourself today, getting naked before the eyes of the female servants as some vulgar guy. So stopping there, um, what's your thought on Michael? Is Did David reveal himself in the celebration, or is Michael just blowing it out of proportion by accusing him of, of basically flashing himself underneath the ephod? I think, you know, Michael was like so angry and bitter with the way David conducted himself, and probably like it was just blown out of proportion. Um, David didn't care one way or other, you know, so he said that, you know, I'll even go to even like worse extent if I need to just do anything even like even more, uh, you know, mean in your sight, I will still do it because my heart is with Yahweh, you know, again, you know, Shema Israel, you know, I love Yahweh with all my heart, soul, you know, and strength. And you, Michael, may be my wife. And if you're going to be a stumbling block with that relationship that I have, then, you know, it's, it's your call. You know, you either, you know, be with me on the same page or it's up to you. So I don't think that David really flashed himself like a drunken, you know, uh, person. Uh, but I think it's it's like a, it's kind of a false accusation, you know, in my uh, in my sight, you know, when I read that, and uh, we most, are prone okay. to such. We are prone. I'm just to going to say that people. I was going to say that most scholars, I think, agree with you that that he probably wouldn't have been revealing himself. I think it just it's just a more emphasis on what you said earlier. She's just so disgusted by the fact that he's down there worshiping and dancing with the commoners, or that he's kind of being silly or a fool. Uh, and of course, he's doing it out of his great. You know, just uh, exuberance that the the things are going better. The the 
the ark is being brought into his his newly minted uh city of david um so he's probably not actually exposing himself but it's it's a question that's been brought up before because you know lots of people ask because she says right is she is she a a uh, a reliable narrator or not when she accuses him of uncovering himself um but i think it would be like the equivalent of wearing like boxer shorts and a t-shirt and going out and getting the mail and then you know someone say oh I, you know, what are you coming outside naked for you're not really naked it's just you're not properly dressed i think you said it right yes it was not proper you know in michael's you know sight and in the sight of other people uh, to witness a king dressed that way you know it's like pastor showing up with a pair of blue jeans and a you know and a polo shirt, you know. It depends and, on which church you're at, though. But yeah, I hear what you're saying, brother. <laughs> uh, I hear what you're saying. Well, but you know, um, but you were about to say something earlier though about how we tend to fall into this trap too. I'd love to hear that. No, what I was about to say was that you know sometimes we are prone to attack by people for you know like keeping our heart in the right place when it comes to. Uh, like uh, fearing the Lord, trusting the Lord, and loving the Lord. You know, there are so many, uh, especially, you know, the world, you know, as polarized as it is today, um, you know, they they just try to just throw verbal spears at you uh, in no time. And uh, and I think David stands as a stellar example for, for all of us that nothing else matters. Nothing, nothing else matters. Uh, because this is not just for this temporal life, you know, this relationship with our Heavenly Father, you know, it's it's beyond uh, this side of the altar, you know, beyond the grave, you know, life here on earth. And, uh, you know, we are not going to bother this for anything else. And if people want to speak against us, you know, insult us and say all kinds of things for us being you know, fearful of the Lord and of walking in his ways, let us gladly walk. You know, that would be um, my encouragement to all the hearers today. And of course, a reminder to myself and us uh, as as pastors, um, you know, we, we are called to be set apart, set apart. Uh, that's an interesting point you make, because if we take it on the idea that he is not doing anything wrong, right? And, and I think we do, that he's just, his, it's excited utterances, he's worshiping before the Lord, he's not being as vulgar as she says, she's just upset. Um, he's just worshiping the Lord as he sees fit. I think that your point is interesting because when people see the way we worship the Lord, whether you have a, a very high liturgical congregation or whether it's more contemporary in its music styles, the point is there are going to be people out in the world, not amongst each other, but people out in the world that's going to look at however we worship and say that's silly. That's ridiculous for you to pray to somebody. You know, how do you even know there is a God or that he's listening? Or it's ridiculous for you to get up early on Sunday and, and you can't sleep in and you have to go. And it's ridiculous for you to sing all these songs or receive the this bread and wine and you say that the body and blood of the Lord comes there. We do all of these things in our worship of the Lord and receiving His gifts. And so, again, regardless of the style of worship, really, no matter what, the unbeliever is going to look at us like Michael looked at David and said, 
you're being ridiculous. You're not being a mature adult. You know, I gave up imaginary friends when I grew up, they might say, thinking that they're trying to hurt our feelings about our belief in God. But the reality is that, yeah, the unbeliever doesn't see it the way that we see it, just as Michael didn't the way David saw it. He saw the presence of the Lord coming into his into his his uh, kingdom, into his city. Um, and, and what he tells her next uh, emphasizes that. But, yeah, what do you think about that analogy? Do you agree with me? Yes, I agree with you totally, yes. And, um, yeah, and I think it segues beautifully about, you know, how David's heart was elsewhere and Michael's was totally, you know, on the other end of it. So, and um, are you planning to read uh, the following uh, verses? Yeah, you want me to? I will. Yeah, <laughs> here, we, here we go. Let's do it. Start with verse 21. And David said to Michael, It was before Yahweh who chose me above your father and above his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of Yahweh. And I will celebrate before Yahweh. I will make myself yet even more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But... By the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So I would like to unpack what that last verse means, but you got to give it to David. He basically says, you know, your dad's not in charge anymore. I am, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to worship how I please. And well, he's got a point, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he made a very bold statement, you know, to the point, you know, he didn't beat around the bush. So, oh, I'm I'm stepping on her toes. Oh, she's my wife. Come on. You know, you know, kind of, you know, we, we have a funny, you know, adage, you know, a happy wife, happy life. You know, he, he didn't fall for that. He did not. He said that, you know, if your heart is not set on, you know, the thing that really matters, you know, in these things, you know, then... So, so be it. So be it. And um, very strong words. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this by saying that he was not planning to do anything so no, silly or right. stupid, but he's telling his heart even to that point. Listen to me very clearly, lady. Even you know, if I were to do something so silly and stupid, you know, in order to honor Yahweh, I will choose to do that than to please you. Wow, that's uh, I think that he really put his foot down. And, uh, well, and yet again, it, it, it says something about our relationship with the world, who would tell us that we shouldn't worship in the way that God has called us to worship. It's like, no, we're going to—you know, no matter what I do, essentially is what David is saying, no matter what I do, you're, you're going to think that I am vulgar and debased, no matter what. Um, so I'm just going to worship as I see fit, as you said. But he does note, though, that he's innocent of of being dishonorable in front of the female servants, though. He says, by the female servants, though, I'm going to hold in honor. Basically, you know, yeah, you're not going to like what I'm doing, obviously, for your own reasons. But, you know, don't be saying that I'm being dishonorable in front of the female servants. That just isn't happening. He does make that point. Yeah, yeah, he's basically saying, don't speak for the for others. You know, the, the Lord will take care of all that issue that you brought up. You know, sometimes, you know, 
you know, we need to let the fire die on its own, you know. So so when, when people talk all these things, you know, sometimes, you know, God, you know, builds his character by letting, letting him fight the battle for us. You know, we cannot answer every, you know, uh, critic, uh, every person who says something about the church and, you know, or faith and, uh, you know, what we follow and, uh, you know, our confession and, uh, you know, our practice. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll let the Lord, you know, take care of all that. But we focus on what we are called to do, you know, what we are enabled to do, you know. And I think that is true worship, um, not getting distracted or, you know, deviated, uh, you know, getting pulled into arguments, you know, especially like, you know, silly things on social media and the like, you know, people waste precious, you know, hours, you know, fighting, you know, with people whom they've never, ever met. I think to me, it's, it's a big waste of time, but we need to focus on the Lord, you know, who has saved us, who not only created us, who saved us, who sanctified us, and who is continuing to sanctify us through his Holy Spirit. And uh, what a great blessing, you know, for us to have that relationship with our Heavenly Father. We celebrated Father's Day last Sunday. And um, we have our Heavenly Father, and we cry out, Abba. You know, and um, that's such a wonderful, you know, like a reminder to me personally, if you, if, if you allow me to say that. Um, yes, I am indeed a baptized child of God, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, wow. Amen to that, brother. And, and and you're talking about God doesn't need us to sort of stick up for him, and, and that's true. And I think that's also part of the lesson that we have today, right? Uzzah thought that he had to protect the ark. Did he learn nothing about the ark protecting itself? Of course, obviously God doing the protecting, but in the uh, in the, the 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 temple of Dagon, right? He decapitates the false god of the Canaanites, and and so he doesn't need our help. He's here to serve us, to help us grow and towards him and love toward one another. Um, and I think that's another message here. And, and it's the same thing here. David's like, I'm going to rejoice in my Lord. And, and to the skeptics who think that I shouldn't be rejoicing in the Lord, then, by gosh, I'm going to do what I want. And, of course, in David's case, he's king. So he definitely he has a little bit more authority to be able to say that than others. But I think we can learn from that. Not that we should be without, without reverence in the house of the Lord. Not that we shouldn't um, do things properly, obviously, because this whole section is bookmarked by the idea of, hey, look. God requires that his holy things, his holy spaces, be treated with a humility and and with a reverence uh, that are afforded him. But it doesn't preclude God's people from rejoicing in the blessings that the Lord has. So you see both law and gospel at play here. A uh, beautiful text to have you on for today. Anything else that you want to share with the people before we go? No, just, uh, just enjoy this great blessing and... Uh... Be thankful always, you know, have a grateful heart, and um, just rejoice, you know, rejoice in all this blessing, and uh, go out into this world and share this blessing, you know, share this blessing, so, yeah, thanks, so any, thanks uh, for any dancing around in any dancing around in the tunics going on at uh, St. Peter's there in Norwalk? Probably not, right? 
<laughs> no, 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 not not anything of that sort. Uh, no, but we have we have planned some outreaches in Norwalk. Of uh, course, you know, it, to, yeah. We we rejoice in the Lord in our own uh, in our own ways, and I tell you what, I'm so grateful to have you on. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Jim Gabriel. He's the pastor of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Norwalk, Connecticut. Just started there. He's uh, been a pastor for very long time, but he's uh, this is a new call for him. So, folks, pray for him and his congregation as he continues the ministry there. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you, Pastor, for having me, and it's such a blessing. Have a wonderful uh, rest of your day, listeners, and uh, the Lord be with you. And also with you, brother. So tomorrow when we come back together, King David desires to build a temple for God. But the prophet Nathan tells him that, well, no, it's going to be your son who fulfills that task. And this revelation humbles David, who once again realizes the eternal significance of God's covenant and promises. God assures David that his descendants will establish an everlasting kingdom in Israel. Of course, we know that that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. David responds with humility and gratitude, recognizing God's grace and faithfulness, which is what I want you to recognize today as we come to the end of our show. So tomorrow we'll meet again, and until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. Amen.